Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. What was revealed to you in darkness, revealed it in light. What was whispered in two years, shouted on the rooftops. Good afternoon, church. All those that are joining in uh, through YouTube live streaming, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're able to join us for today's service. If you happen to be a visitor and would like more information about our church and ministry, you can text uh, the person in the live chat section, and the member of the care team will be able to help you with whatever needs that you may have inquiring about our church. Uh, Let me uh, begin our today's service with a couple of the announcements. Um, We are just uh, coming off of, I I guess we're technically still in uh, the week long of fast and pray. This uh, This is our annual ministry venue where we as a church collective body gets together and we just come and seek God's face. And this past week, I know there have been many challenges because of the pandemic and and due to the, the, the meeting restrictions that we were uh, kind of concerned about what this meeting would be like, but uh, we met every night at 8.30 this past week, gathering together on Zoom, and what a sweet time of worship and prayer it has been. I know that all those that have participated, I know that your heart is full. I know that you have been uh, blessed and challenged in many, many ways. And for me, guys, I, I feel so strong. I feel so refreshed. And And I just want to say thank you for all those that have uh, taken the time to, uh, in faith, to fast and pray during this past week. I announced last week, uh, last night, that um, the end of today's service will mark the the, the breaking of the fast as a collective body. So um, you guys can look forward to that. And if you have not yet been uh, participated or uh, joined in any of the fast and pray in the past, I strongly encourage you. As your pastor, as your friend, as a member of this church, I'll tell you what, there's, there's nothing quite like this. And, um, and, and talk to someone who has uh, participated. So take, talk to someone who uh, has uh, uh, over and over again, every year, uh, uh, takes a part of this. And I, and I know that uh, if you really want to know and understand about what church is all about, what rooftop is all about, I think that's the, uh, probably perhaps the most accurate picture of how we approach God, and how we approach each other and ministering to one another. Again, uh, thank you and good job, church. And I know that 2021 is off to a great start, and uh, God's hand is upon this church. So I'm excited for all of us in this year. Next announcement is daily bread. Uh, We are going to start this back up starting tomorrow. I know it's something that the Lord has spoken a very specific word on my heart, and I just want to be able to obey. And I know that some of you guys, though, though very little, uh, some of you guys have been looking forward to this. So at every morning at 8.30, uh, meet me on Instagram Live. I will be logging in through the church, Rooftop Church Instagram account, and I will be sharing a, just a short 10-minute uh, devotional, and this time out of the book of Joshua. And I, I plan on going through just different books through the Old Testament this time around. So come join. Uh, you are maybe someone that is uh, not yet knowing how to uh, have a consistent devotional time with God. 
and you would like to uh, get that kick-started, and you would like to have the opportunity to meet with those other members of the church and to be able to hear God's Word and learn about uh, what He has to say. So tomorrow at 8.30, I can't do 8 o'clock anymore because uh, I have my family devotional and kids have to get ready. So 8.30 would be the best time, and if that time doesn't work, we might have to tinker around a little bit, but it will start tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. On January 31st, on Sunday, we are going to have a church-wide blood drive hosted by Red Cross, and we will set up different stations in the hallway of the church, and with the help of North Hills Church, we are going to uh, reach out to the community. We are, we are going to do everything that we can to be of help uh, in those that are in need. So I recently signed up. My time slide is at, my time slide is at 3.30 for that day. If you haven't done so, if you're a healthy person, uh, you meet the requirements. I think there's also a weight requirement as well. So if you're not, if you're too light, uh, yeah, I, we, this opportunity may not be for you. But if you meet the conditions, you're a healthy person, you have an able body, I encourage you to sign up. And let's be of helping hand in this time of need. A last announcement, I think. I switched the orders, but... Uh, in a couple of weeks, we will be celebrating uh, Rooftop Church's sixth anniversary. We are turning six. Yay! What an, uh, what an incredible time for us to be celebrating what God has done in and through this church. Um, so uh, to help us celebrate and to honor that day and, and really give worship unto the Lord. Uh, my dear friend, my dear pastor, uh, pastor, from, uh, pastor Sam Song from Hong Kong. Uh, is joining in and, and is giving us a special award for our sixth anniversary. Uh, I know that some of you guys have already met him a couple of times. He was a guest speaker in the past, and he also guest spoke for us one of the Sundays in the last couple of years. And um, I, I'm, I'm so excited to have him come. So uh, come tune in uh, in two weeks. Uh, let's celebrate together. Amen. And we are getting the gifts ready, and we will let you know that I think right now as planned, uh, you will be able to pick up the anniversary gift on that Sunday after 2.30 and also the following Sunday on the 31st uh, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. No. So we will let you know. Right, we will let you know. I uh, forgot to get the clearance from Pastor Tavis here. So, all right. I think that's all for the announcements. Um, all right. So, so happy uh, to be sharing God's Word with you. So if you have your Bibles with you, meet me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. And I'm going to read for us from NASB version. Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant, when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money to be given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you so much for allowing us the time to sit at your feet, God, and to worship you and to be able to lift up our hearts, God, and to surrender to you our entire lives. And God, we do so gladly. God, we do so with such joy as you have inspired us to, Lord. And God, tonight, uh, today, God, as we uh, get a glimpse into uh, the worship which you delighted in, Lord, so much. And God, may we be like Mary. May we be able to unabashedly, Lord God, lift up onto you everything in our lives. So God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Apostle Matthew here doesn't really claim to give us a, a chronological account of the events of the last week of the life of Jesus, meaning if you uh, compare with other Gospels like the account in Mark and also according to Apostle John, we know that this account is recorded in the 26th chapter of Matthew, not according to the timeline, but I think it, uh, Matthew is wanting to insert this story so that we can get a comparative emotion of what this woman had done, also by the reactions of the surrounding people that happened to be present at that moment. So by joining these two accounts, Matthew really, really wanted to highlight the value, not because it's beautiful in his estimation or his eyes, but because of the added emphasis that Jesus adds on in the, in the, in the particular context in Matthew 26. And, and he really wants us to understand and catch something that is beautifully mentioned here. We know that there were at least 17 people present at this special dinner gathering. We know that there was Simon the leper. It was at his house. We know there was Mary, Martha. These are the usual suspects along, uh, across the Bible, across the New Testament. We know Lazarus, the brother of Mary, and Jesus was present. And Jesus himself, those five people along with the rest of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. So we know that at least 17 people were gathered together at this dinner. And true to Mary's character, as a, uh, Martha's character as a doer in the family, Martha is busy, she's preparing the food, and she's hosting this great party. And the three key persons in, the, in this event that we want to pay attention is this, are, are these. Mary, Judas, and Jesus. Mary, Judas, and Jesus. And we know that there is something very special about Mary. If you know Mary, verse 7, it says, John identifies this woman as Mary, sister of Martha, and sister of Lazarus. And she's found at least three times in the Gospels. And each of those three accounts mentioned in the Gospel that Mary is found at the feet of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? According to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, when Jesus visits the home of Mary and Martha, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and she was 
completely immersed in listening to every word that was coming out of Jesus' mouth. And in John chapter 11, 28, 32, when Mary's brother Lazarus died, she comes to feet of Jesus and she weeps and begs Jesus to be brought to their house. And in John chapter 12, verse 1, it says she worshipped it, uh, she worshiped Jesus at his feet, and she anointed him with the ointment. And the same account is found here in Matthew chapter 26. You see, Mary had a deep spiritual encounter with Jesus. You know, for her, many people encountered Jesus. Many people witnessed and heard the same message that Jesus was preaching. But for Mary, she was able to make a deeper connection, and something was just really profoundly working within her heart to the point where Jesus seemed to matter so much more for Mary. She, as we always say that, she was not only taught in the spirit, but she caught the spirit of the person of Jesus. And I want you to see some details in our text as they really help us understand what the writer, uh, Matthew, is trying to convey through the encounter of Mary and Jesus. Let me get into the text, uh, text a little more here. You have to understand that Mary was not a wealthy woman. And this alabaster jar containing such expensive perfume very possibly represented her entire life's savings. Uh, if not something that she had accumulated for herself, probably quite possibly that it was passed down generation to generation as a family heirloom. And this may most likely have been the most precious thing, most valuable thing in her entire life. And the scholars estimate that this uh, uh, alabaster jar of perfume was worth about 300 denarii. That is equivalent to about a, uh, one year worth of wages. Think about that. If we were to calculate that to modern-day uh, currency, probably, I don't know, $40,000, $60,000, um, I, I think it's fair to estimate to be a, a, a cost of a very nice SUV, a luxurious SUV. I, I, I don't know. I, I, th I think that seems about right. And can you imagine, this is like her, the most valuable possession that Mary had in her life. An alabaster jar, alabaster is a beautiful semi-transparent gemstone, which a lot of the stonemakers would use alabaster to contain something very precious within it. So alabaster in itself was precious enough, and it was, I, I, the stonemaker would fashion it so that something even more precious would be stored inside of that. In this case, we know that perfume, likely imported from India, mixed in with other spices, very expensive, very costly and precious, and the, uh, the stonemaker would fashion the jar in a way that it would only be, it, it would be sealed up completely, containing the, another very expensive perfume. The only way to access what's contained within it is that it would be broken. So you would think, why would anyone make it without having access to it? So that's why. So oftentimes when these gifts or these precious things were made, it was not meant to be broken. It was not meant to be used at all. It was to symbolize the value 
But here we see Mary breaking this alabaster jar of perfume at the feet of Jesus. She knew very well the worth of the perfume that this jar contained. She knew very well what it meant to break this jar of alabaster perfume at the feet of Jesus. She knew very well of the consequences of her worship that all were to be spent on Jesus. Upon breaking it, she wasn't going to anoint Jesus' feet a little bit. She wasn't going to anoint Jesus, and she would move on to the next person. She would save you for the next occasion. When she had processed in her heart, she discerned for herself in her spirit, and she made a willing sacrifice. She made a willing offering unto the Lord. Jesus, tonight, Jesus, today, I will come forth and pour out everything that I have unto you. God, I will lavishly put it upon you. Let me highlight again that this wasn't out of her excess. She was, this was not one of, one of many perfumes that she had. She's not, this is not one of many gifts that she had. She really did not have the means to do what she just did. It wasn't out of her surplus that she gave, but it was out of what she had, what she did have, and she gave everything that she had. This may have been likely her fallback plan and sort of an emergency fund or life insurance where when things got really, really tough, she would be able to sell it for her gain. If not, pass it on to the next generation. But she decides to give everything and pours at the feet of Jesus. I think it's so true that we understand that the value of a gift is measured by how much it costs the person giving it. Let me say that again. The value of a gift is measured by how much it costs the person giving it. So it's important to understand, to simply put, it's not just the price tag of the gift that we're giving that we have to look at. We have to understand what that price means, what that cost actually means for the giver of the gift. Here we see Mary giving to Jesus something that belonged to her, something so precious to her. And if we look into Luke chapter 1, we know that in the temple courts, in the temple worship, and there was a, a gathering of worship, and Jesus highlights the woman, the poor widow who had given two copper pennies. He stops, he stops the entire service and, and gives attention to this poor woman who has put in mere two coins, mere two pennies into the offering basket. And he says, this woman who gave up two pennies has just given more than any one of you guys in this room. Highlighting that the offering they lifted up to God is not about the amount. It's about the, it's about the heart behind it. It's not just a simple uh, 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 amount, but how much it had cost a person giving this offering unto the Lord. Let's pay attention to an account in the Old Testament found in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 18 through 24. Let me read verse 24 here. However, the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. 
So David brought See, so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land, and the plague was held back from Israel. What's happening here in King David and the nation of Israel? You see, the nation of Israel had sinned against God, and God was quite upset. And in response to the Israelites' rebellion and disobedience, God says, uh, God gave David, King David, three choices to choose from. Seven years of famine, three months of exile, or three days of pestilence in the entire land of over Israel. And out of the response to that, and God was about to punish, God was about to just uh, uh, teach a lesson to the Israelites, as he often does in the Old Testament, And David decides to lift up a a burnt offering sacrifice unto the Lord. Remember, David is not just any man. He's not just ordinary citizen in the land of Israel. He's the king. Meaning, if you're the king, you know, I've never been king. Um, Not yet. I don't think it's going to happen. But if you're the king, you pretty much have access to anything, any person, any subject that contained within that land. So uh, this person, Aruna, whatever he had, king did not need to ask for permission. King did not. He, king could have commanded, hey, you know what? I want your land. I want your house. I want you to just give, go and, and, and give up your, uh, uh, an ox. I want to lift up an offering right now. What does King David say? And Aruna offers it to him. Say, you know what? You're the king. You can have anything you want. Anything at your disposal, just say a word. But let's read what King David says in response to that. He says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Listen to these words. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, which costs me nothing. I will not give unto God, which costs me nothing. And he demanded, he insisted on paying 50 pieces of silver for that occasion of sacrifice to be lifted up unto God. You see here, we understand that the value of a gift is measured by what it's costing the person given it. And I hope you understand that Jesus was delighted because he understood that Mary did not hold back and giving unto him which that was most precious to her. You know, exactly one week ago, I think it was actually on uh, this Saturday, not yesterday, but week from uh, yesterday, my family gathered and, and we were going through in preparation for this upcoming annual fast. And unlike the past two years, my, my kids have now participated in two years, uh, three times now, including this year. Uh, unlike the past years that we decided to kind of sit through and allow them to kind of choose what it is that they can fast for one week. So we, ta- we sat together and uh, we, we asked them, hey, uh, whatever that you're willing to give up to God, for one week, we explained the meaning of fast. We explained the value of fasting together, and, and we kind of left it up to them. In brief moments, the response was, well, we'll give up chips. 
We gave up ice cream. We gave up the snacks that we usually enjoy on a daily basis, multiple times throughout the day. I sat back and said, are you sure? And we want to make sure that, like, is that all? I want to make sure, hey, remember, this is, we're giving us something valuable to God. At that moment, kids kind of thought that was sufficient, so I pressed in a little bit. And I really uh, was quite uh, committed to making fasting, annual fasting, a kind of a family tradition and our worship unto the Lord. I said, I think, uh, kids, uh, the important thing that we need to understand is that we don't want to just give God our excess. We don't want to give unto God something that we could live without. We don't want to give to God something that we could actually benefit from not partaking in every single day. It's not just giving God whatever that we think we can, right? So we need to give God something that is valuable to us. And then the next line came in. I suggested to the kids, you know what? We're going to give up our iPads. We're going to give up for one week our gaming devices. And I look at the kids, and they looked at me, and they kind of sensed that I wasn't going to back down as this was something that was coming upon them now. I see tears welling up in their eyes. I see the struggle and fight in their spirit. Like, like they... they like, why well, I began to ask them, say, is this sad? Does it hurt? And, and I simply explained, that means that's something of greater value to you than the ones that you have just given up. Kids, I think we can do this. I think you can absolutely do this. And during this time, we want to make sure that we're basically saying, God, these are important things in life, but for one week, God, we're going to dedicate on to you and saying, you are more important to us. You are more valuable to us. And you are the one sustaining our lives. They took a huge step of faith. And they made a choice. They accepted the challenge. They accepted the call. And they went through the whole week abstaining from their devices this morning, right before I came to church, uh, we, we, we got together. I sat them down, and we had a little talk. We talked about the value of fasting. We talked about that, that we want to always make sure that we honor God with the best things that we can give unto him. I think at that point, I think they could care less what I had to say. They ran for the devices, and they got their iPads back. But I think it's so telling I think it's so telling that when we give on to God, the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that we must surrender unto Him that it is most precious to us. We give on to God the offering, worship, sacrifice that costs us greatly. And may the cry of King David be our cry where we say, I will not give unto my God which costs me nothing. Friends, let's examine our hearts. The worship that we have been offering up unto the Lord, the offering that we have been giving unto God, has it cost us? Does it cost us very much? 
Or are we perhaps making the mistake of giving God our leftovers? Are we making the mistake of giving God out of our only out of our abundance? George Mueller, a great evangelist and a, a, and a director and the, perhaps the, the most famous man behind the orphanage movement all across the world, he said this, God judges not what we give, but what we keep. God judges not what we give, but what we keep. You see, friends, we as humans tend to measure our gifts horizontally. That is, uh, we figure out how much is expected of us. We, we try to figure out how much we think is reasonable and fair, and we give accordingly. And I believe that we need to give our gifts unto God on a vertical measure, that we make it about between God and us. We begin to measure and make sure that, 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 that we give out of faith, that we understand the parameters of giving unto the Lord and not measure again simply around the world. God does not look at what we give, but what we have left after we give and what your gift means to you. You see, sacrifice never seems reasonable. I'm not speaking exclusively of financial matters here. I will tell you that anytime you could contemplate taking a step for God, it will seem to you and to others around you, especially in the world, outside the community of the faith, it will seem, it will appear as rash. It will appear as unreasonable. It will appear even as very foolish and stupid. Our decision to consecrate ourselves, our decision to live holy, our decision to fast, our decision to pray, our decision to turn the other cheek, our decision to give our time to help the needy, our decision to give up our free time in conveying the gospel, the truth of the gospel to a friend that is not yet saved. All of these measures of faith that we take, all of these actions of faith that we are so inspired to take, they would not often make sense in the worldly sense. Sacrifice is a kingdom act. Sacrifice is a kingdom truth. And we see Mary, and I wasn't there. I, I cannot see Mary's face, but I imagine that she had a beautiful smile on her face. I, I bet while, you know, tears falling down, these weren't just tears of, you know, like lamenting her sins in the past, but these are tears of gladness that she has now met the Lord. But these were also tears of joy that she gets to give unto him, which that was most precious to her. And not only do we see Mary breaking this jar of alabaster perfume, alabaster jar of perfume, but we also see Mary dismantling her hair. Hair in those days for women represent her glory, self-dignity, self-esteem. But she gladly unbounds her glory, saying, you know what? I lift up, I glorify the one and only God. Jesus, my, I am completely laid before you. And she washes Jesus' feet, a task that was only reserved for the lowliest 
of all servants. She says, I don't care. There's no dignity when in the presence of the king. I will gladly wash your feet. Her tears just pouring down on Jesus' feet, mixed in with this uh, perfume, and she begins to wash Jesus' feet using her hair as well. What an incredible, incredible act of worship. And Jesus was so moved, she says this in response. Wherever the gospel is preached, he's very aware that he's going to be immensely popular, that the whole world for generations and generations will be talked about. And he says this. He goes on to make a point that wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, make sure to include the story of what Mary had just done, that she did not save herself. She did not preserve. She gave everything that she had and gladly, joyfully offered it up to Jesus. For Mary, Jesus was worth it. To Mary, Jesus was worth her everything. What do we see on the other hand here? I asked you that the th- I told you that the three most important people in this Bible passage is Mary, Jesus, and Judas. Let's compare the response of Judas in the same incident. In verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas was concerned about filling his pockets. Judas rationalized, hey, there's a lot of good that can be done. But Jesus highlights, it matters more of what you are willing to do for me. It matters more that you are not afraid of uh, uh, expending all that you have in worship of me. Friends, the Christian joy is in the willful surrender of our all to the one who has given his life. And I pray, it is my deep prayer this morning or this afternoon that you begin to take steps so that you may experience the joy of surrendering completely, unabashedly, and joyfully unto our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, church. May you experience the joy as we hold the alabaster jar of perfume at Jesus' feet. And out of joy and exuberance, we would gladly break it and let the sweet aroma of our sacrifice and worship be uplifted and be glorifying and be pleasing unto the Lord. Your brokenness is a sweet-smelling aroma and savor 
to our God. Let me say just one more thing as I close today's message. What gives us life is not just rest. What gives us life is not just the ease of life. What gives us life sometimes is the most taxing on our mind and on our body. What gives us life and joy is something that is very costly to our entire lives. Yet strangely, when you do this, you feel so good when you do it. And in some sense, it doesn't make sense. It should tire you out. It should drain you. It should stress you out. It should burden you. But sometimes, sometimes what gives us the most vigor and energy is the very thing that would expend our physical and mental energy. I think, it's, I think passion is, is, is rooted in so much more than just the ease of life or the, this notion of do less or give less. I think sometimes when more work, when doing what we have been created to do, which is worship, doing what God is pleased in, sometimes it will take our more time. Sometimes it will drain of our physical energy, but you will find that you are most uplifted you will find yourself being encouraged and being carried with supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that this coming year that you may experience this, that we begin, we begin to uh, take, take even greater steps of faith, that we would be moved by the Holy Spirit and that we take actual steps inching closer to that direction. May we be extravagant to God this year. May we experience the joy of wasting all that we have and lavishing upon him as he has lavished upon us his love and grace toward us. The Bible says we love because he first loved. We worship, we serve because of our gratitude towards him. You know, during this week of fasting, I began to pray, and God kept saying, I, I just really sensed the Lord's, Scott. And I was so delighted. I was just telling God how, was, like, how glad I was, how glad, I, how happy I am, how like, strong I am. I was like, God, thank you so much. God, I want you, God, I want you. And I began to hear God's words being spoken back to me. Scott, I want you. I want more of you. I'm so delighted by you. I, 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 just, I just have to have more of you. It was bizarre because in the same moment, I was saying, God, I want more of you. God, give me more. This is so good. It's so good to be taking you in. God, the worship is sweet, God. I could feel your presence in my life. And I began to God speaking the same, uh, uh, uttering the similar words. God, oh, Scott, I'm so delighted by you. I'm so fueled by you. God, I, uh, Scott, I'm so empowered by you. I'm so encouraged by you. I'm so delighted by you. Give me more, son. Give me more, son. In that moment, I just could not help but to concede even more unto the Lord. I didn't even know how, by the way. God, whatever it is, Lord, take it from me. Whatever it is that you desire from me, whatever it is that I can be of uh, a gift unto you, God, take it all, God. God, I would not save it, God. 
the things that I have, the person that I am, God, all that I am, God. What meaning, what value does it have if not complete surrender unto you, God? The life that I have, the breath that I'm breathing with my own mouth, Lord. The air that you have deposited me, Lord. This is all because of you. I'm excited. Not because it's going to be easy or easier going forward. I'm excited for the rest of the year because I feel like we get to spend the whole year honoring God. We get the chance to prove to God. We get the chance to show to God just how much He means to all of us. We will worship. We will surrender. We will continue to exemplify the value and the worth of Jesus Christ in and through our lives. Amen. So may that be your encouragement. May that be your prayer unto the Lord. May you and I pray together. God, sustain us throughout the entire year as we continue to give forth unto you, Lord, what you deserve. Lord, be my answer. Lord, be my provision. Lord, be my complete satisfaction this year. Amen. And may the stories of your life and my life also be shared all across the world. It's kind of hard to imagine, right? What? Who are we? Who are we that others may pay attention to us? But friends, who was Mary? Who was she? As I close today's message, may we have the courage, may we have the faith to surrender unto the Lord. Let's pray.